I'm Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Welcome to our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. Today, I'm joined by two of CBF's own, Jocelyn Tuttle, educator par excellence in Baltimore Harbor, <laughs> and Sam Eckert, similarly excellent educator excellence, par excellence, in Tangier Island, Virginia, actually an education center that CBF owns and operates known as Port Isabel, one of our four residential education centers. So Jocelyn, Sam, welcome. Thank Good you. morning. Thanks, Good Will. Uh, Jocelyn, let's start with you. T tell us a little bit about your history at CBF, how long you've been working here, and the Baltimore Harbor program. I won't take too much of your time, but my start at CBF started in sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> I started, I went on a Chesapeake Bay Foundation field trip to the Karen Noonan Center right when it first opened. And I was inspired immediately. I was inspired by the wetlands, by the bay. I grew up in Western Maryland, so I wasn't really familiar too much with the water aspect of Maryland. And when I got to the Karen Noonan Center outside of Cambridge, Maryland, I fell in love with it. And I said, man, I'd like to do this someday. Mm -hmm. So throughout middle school, high school, I loved being outside. I loved teaching people. So when it came time for me to, to apply for jobs outside of college, I applied for an internship with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. And you know, I started as an intern also. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was on our canoe programs in Maryland for a little bit. Then I went to our island programs on Smith Island, then the Karen Noonan Center. And for the last almost six years, I've been in Baltimore Harbor. A totally different environment than my previous experiences at CBF, and actually different from my childhood too in this urban environment. But it is inspiring in its own ways um, and new ways for me as an educator. So you're you're on Baltimore Harbor, the in the mouth of the Patapsco River, with Baltimore City students and teachers, yes, as well as students from other parts of the state and other areas. Exactly. Exploring the life and. Um, issues, I'm sure, related to Baltimore Harbor. Yeah, the, the city and our program is at this great juxtaposition of a very urban and oftentimes polluted environment and how it meets the Chesapeake Bay. And so for myself and for my fellow educator on the program, it's really neat and it's a good challenge for us to help our city students see their connection to that waterway that oftentimes they feel is really negative but helping them to see there's still life in this river and it's something we should care about. You know, just on that point, uh, for many years, CBF had a trustee who was a Baltimore City teacher, Mirtha Allen. And I remember one of the first things Mirtha told me about bringing her kids out on our boat in Baltimore Harbor, which uh, actually then uh, uh, Mayor Schaefer got us started way back in the late 70s was the beginning of the Baltimore Harbor program, taking kids out on the water. But Mirtha said, just to your point, for some of my kids, this is the first time they've ever seen anything they view as good yeah. in their immediate vicinity, their immediate neighborhoods. And that's a huge benefit of getting kids out on the water, doing science education, doing sampling. Sam, uh, Jocelyn mentioned the Karen Noonan Center. And that is one of those four residential centers, Port Isabel, where you work. But just uh, for our listeners, the Karen Noonan Center 
uh, was named after Karen Noonan, who uh, tragically passed away in the Pan Am crash in Lockerbie. Uh, and Karen was the daughter of great friend and ally and colleague uh, uh, to CBF, uh, Pat Noonan, that some of our listeners uh, may know and recognize. But Sam, you're at uh, Port Isabel Island, adjacent to Tangier. Tell us uh, what Port Isabel is like uh, and juxtapose it to what Jocelyn is seeing in Baltimore Harbor. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible that they're both in the same Chesapeake Bay. It's it's polar opposites. Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up in uh, Annapolis, just right around here by the headquarters, and definitely more fresher water. And then moving down towards Port Isabel, completely different bay, completely different species. Um, you know, very disconnected, uh, not disconnected, but far from places like Baltimore and D.C. Uh, you're getting way more ocean water, and it just, it's very different ecosystem. Um, yeah, some incredible species uh, that we see down there. Jocelyn, what are, what, what are uh, normal salinity readings your kids are getting in Baltimore Harbor? We get 8 to 11 parts per thousand of salinity. And yeah, Sam? we're typically 18 to 20, right S- around there. Seawater is 30, 35, 35 like parts that. per thousand, yeah, exactly. So, uh, Sam, when did you start with CBF? And I started uh, right around three years ago. I uh, started up here in Annapolis, assistant manager of a canoe program at the Merrill Center. And uh, then moved on to the Skipjack and uh, then to Meredith Creek. So basically all around Annapolis um, and then moved down to the, the Karen, or, uh, Port Isabel, saltier water. And uh, yeah, just just incredible place. Definitely. I first met you, though, on the Baltimore Harbor program. You came out for your field. That's you right. Know, you were my first. Yeah, years. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just blown away by the, the connection of students and, and that waterway. And definitely inspired me, Jocelyn. Thank you. <laughs> Get my start here. What Jocelyn's referring to is when new education staff started the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. And I, I should back up a little bit. CBF has four primary programs: uh, outdoor education for students, st- students, teachers, even um, uh, superintendents and uh, heads of schools. Uh, we have a big uh, program of. Um, Uh, really policy-oriented, working at the uh, policy level in local, state, and federal government agencies and the executive branch. We have a a restoration program, restoring uh, best management practices and filters, whether it be underwater grasses to forested buffers way up the watershed, and finally a litigation program. So I mentioned that to put the education program in the broader context of CBF suite of activities. But I'm off on a tangent, as, as our listeners often know. So Jocelyn <laughs> was saying, yeah, I was the one who was, in effect, sort of training you, Sam, when you first started at CBF. And it's a wonderful relationship of a total, what, a, a 40 or 50 outdoor environmental educators at CBF? Mm-hmm. Some veterans, some new uh, people coming out of college, out of graduate school, going back, going to other parts of the organization to work. And um, we have, you've heard of a number of different centers, as uh, Sam and Jocelyn have talked about. Uh, The Noonan Center, uh, Port Isabel, Baltimore Harbor, the canoe programs, Meredith Creek. CBF has a total of 15 different outdoor environmental education centers taking some 30,000 or more students, teachers, 
uh, professionals out on the water on an annual basis. It's an amazing, amazing program. And what I always say is the best long-term investment in the future of the Bay. Now, Jocelyn and Sam, one of the things that has really interested me starting last spring, going through the summer and certainly into this fall, has been the clarity of the water. Uh, you, as one of the water quality tests you do with students, and you do a, an array of them, and I'll let you describe some of the others in a minute, but you do water clarity testing on a regular basis. Jocelyn, what, what sort of clarity have you been seeing in Baltimore Harbor where your kids are testing water uh, spring, summer, into the fall? So in Baltimore Harbor, it's day by day because if there's been a recent rainstorm, it, you can expect the water is going to be really murky. And we get some very interesting colors <laughs> yeah. of water down there. I think that day that I came on that program three years ago, the color was red, yeah. absolutely red. And I don't know what that's from, but... Um, it, it's most likely from this diatom. It's a type of, like, basically an algae, and it'll color up the water and mm -hmm. it's because there's too many, too many nutrients coming in. But the cool thing this fall is we've seen a lot more days with clearer waters. And, I mean, pretty darn clear. Uh, we saw one day with a group of students, I said, okay, guys, let's put this Secchi disc in the water. And that's, you know, it's actually a circular disc that has black and white colors on it and you lower it until you can no longer see the difference between the black and white on the disc. And the kids were lowering it down, and I just kind of let them do their thing. I explained how to do it, and they, they did it. And then they, I hear them saying, oh, yeah, I've got seven feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, No, I think it was like seven and a half feet. I'm like, <laughs> they must be counting this wrong. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I, 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 they seem like a smart group, but let me just, let me just check in And here. it is by far the most simple <laughs> test we do. It is, so it it's is. Like, so I was like, oh, they messed this really? one up. Hell, yeah. And then I go back there, and they're showing me, yeah, the water. I was like, do it again. Let me, let me see that again. And uh, sure enough, they lowered down to seven and a half feet. And that happened three or four times this season, and that's pretty rare uh, for Baltimore Harbor. We typically do see slightly clearer, clearer readings in the fall, but to see that many was, was pretty cool. The, um, the water quality test that Jocelyn's talking about, and Sam will, will reference the same test, is using, as you say, a very simple tool to measure how far down into the water column you can see it. Uh, so it's a, it's a measurement of water clarity. And uh, tangent, again, tan tangent uh, alert. <laughs> uh, uh, it must have been 20 or 25 years ago, I went out with a group of scientists and business people on a boat to kind of get, and this was sponsored by the state of Maryland, to show the business community what's happening on the bay. And one of the tests they did was a Secchi disc reading. And I'll never forget, and I won't name him, although I could, a senior CEO from a large Baltimore corporation started screaming at the chief University of Maryland scientist as to how anyone could expect science to come forward with such a stupid <laughs> test when his company is having to do the most extraordinarily detailed regulatory compliance stuff and just trashed, you know, the Secchi disc reading <laughs> and, and the ignorance of him not knowing that this has been a valid scientific measurement of water quality and through clarity going back decades used by scientists worldwide. I think it goes I think back I'm, to 1870s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
An um, Italian guy, right? Uh, Dr. Yeah. Secchi. Yeah, yeah. he was, was a, the Pope at the time mm. said, hey, can you create some way to test the clarity of the water? And so he, he created this disc. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's an absolute standard uh, water, water measurement yeah. that, that all scientists use. And the, I think the beauty of it is that it is so simple so that you can get, you know, accurate readings, but from people that are just lay, you know, lay scientists or students. Great, great, great tool for kids. Mm -hmm. It yeah. really is, yeah. So, Sam, what kind of uh, clarity have you been seeing? Well, it's it's hard for me to, uh, you know, I started out uh, three years ago up here in, in uh, Annapolis, so I was kind of used to the water clarity that, that Jocelyn was talking about. And moving down to Port Isabel in March, again, just fresher, uh, much clearer water that I'm used to. I never really explored that part of the bay. Um, so looking off the dock, you can see grasses, and uh, just way deeper than you can up here in Annapolis. Um, so that was all new to me. I kind of got the hang, or, or at least got used to seeing the bottom, which is very strange for you know being an Annapolitan. Um, seeing the bottom of the bay is just so rare uh, up here. Um, so I got used to that by the summertime, and then, like you said, in the fall, Jocelyn started noticing those, uh, you know, deeper readings, and we had the same thing. But it actually all happened to me. Uh, Pretty much one day, I remember in particular, we were taking the boat, and I, I'm the captain down there on the program, so I drive the boat. And uh, we're cruising with a group, so 30 kids on the boat, cruising towards uh, Queens Ridge, which is where we pull a scrape and explore grass beds. Um, we catch tons and tons of different things, uh, you know, blue crabs, peeler crabs, uh, seahorses, puffer fish. Wait, wait, seahorses. That's right, yeah, seahorses. Describe uh, a seahorse. <laughs> exactly what you think from uh, from uh, what's the what's the Disney movie? Ariel? Uh, what's the what's the Disney movie? Probably Finding Nemo, right? Finding Nemo too. Now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's what is it, a striped seahorse? I think and a close relative of pipefish. The lined seahorse. Lined right? seahorse. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, so they're they're just. Yeah, they're in the bay. You'd never think they were, but uh, so I'm drawing you out a little bit. It's, yeah, it's it, because it's one of the great uh, uh, surprises that I always have whenever I'm out with the educators and down in the mid and su southern bay and mid bay. They're actually exactly like what you see in cartoons. Absolutely. They look just yep. like a little horse, Absolutely. about three inches, two to three inches. Curly Q-tail. Curly Q-tail. <laughs> yep. And the, it blows the kids away. Yeah. yeah. It's, okay, so it's, I interrupted. Go ahead. I mean, horses. it's exciting every single time. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't get old for me. It really doesn't. And uh, yeah, puffer fish. So, so the grass beds are really, I think, one of my favorite activities that you do down in the islands, uh, exploring those grass beds. So we're cruising to this place, and uh, my boat draws four and a half feet, and we typically pull the scrape in right around six feet. So it's close. Uh, and as the captain, you have to do it at high tide, and you're very, uh, you don't want to go at low tide because you might run aground, and then you're stuck for a while until high tide. With, with 30 kids. With 30 kids. You don't want to do that. You don't want to get stuck on a boat with 30 kids. Um, so we're heading towards this place, and it is high tide, and my depth finder is saying seven feet. But I look out over the side of the boat. We're doing 16 knots, so we're going pretty fast. Uh, and I start seeing grasses. And I have an absolute moment of sheer panic and terror because I think that I'm going to run aground and I'm going to, you know, ground the boat doing 16 knots with 30 kids standing up in the back. And I keep looking at my depth finder. I'm like seven feet, eight feet. I'm fine. I'm fine. But I look down and see these grasses. So it was 
incredibly clear that day. And uh, we, we used the Secchi disc, but we lowered it down off the boat and it just sat on the bottom. You could see it, couldn't take it any further. So uh, we shut the boat off and we drifted for probably 30 minutes with the kids just looking over the side. You could see crabs running from little grass you know, patch to grass patch, uh, fish swimming in the grass. It was unbelievable. It was things that, uh, you know, we talk about, but I've never seen in my life. So it was really, really exciting to be uh, just present and see that. So, so we're, we, we captured two instances, one in Baltimore, one in Tangier Island, which is in Virginia, just over the Maryland-Virginia line. And uh, I, I have thought I'd been seeing more clear water starting in the spring, the summer with the algal growth, definitely not as clear, but I thought still clearer than most summers. And then the clarity which comes in midwinter seemed to start much earlier this fall, and that's the type of clarity you all are describing. Well, the media and the scientific community uh, are, are catching up with you guys, um, and they've been writing about it. And it's been uh, in the newspapers throughout uh, Maryland and Virginia. At, at first, people started saying, well, it must have been just a dry summer. And with less rain means less runoff, so less sediment, less nitrogen, phosphorus, maybe less algae. But it appears that the data show we've had a very normal, if not, in fact, a wetter than normal year. And I'm a, a, a hopeless optimist. I, I just can't help but believe, and the scientists are starting to say this as well now, that we may be starting to see a system, a Chesapeake Bay system, beginning to start. I, I don't want to overstate this. I'm doing this very carefully. Beginning to start to come back to a more normal pattern. Uh, and wouldn't, wouldn't that be a great thing if uh, we look back and say the summer and fall of 2015 were a tipping point, a turning point for the Bay. So um, Sam uh, described a couple of the different critters uh, off Tangier. Jocelyn, what sort of things are you seeing in Baltimore Harbor? The most common critter we catch is a white perch. Yeah. And he's all he's always there. He's reliable. We put out our trawl net. We will at least catch one white perch. And for the students on our boat that have never seen a fish in person and have never held a live fish, that is the coolest thing in the world for them. Um, some of my favorite creatures that we catch are actually the jellyfish. Mm. Um, we catch some larger sea nettles, but we also catch two different types of tinafores, which are little kind of comb jellies. And the colors that they emit and the how they move through the water is really neat and the kids can get really, really into that. We also have an oyster reef that surrounds Fort Carroll, um, and that we go dredging out there. And we catch beautiful oysters out there that were actually grown in Baltimore Harbor by local residents and by students and then put out there. So it's neat to see how they're growing and how well they're doing out there, right at, you know, near the mouth of the Patapsco River, near a very polluted river, but these oysters are still thriving. These are oysters that are on a sanctuary, yes, helping correct. to uh, uh, um, filter and purify mm -hmm. the water, doing their oyster thing. But Creating they're not habitat, great habitat, great habitat too, yeah. for fish, but not for consumption. Correct. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, it's funny. I'll, I'll, you know, there, occasionally there's a student that says, "Oh, can I eat that?" And I said, "Well, okay. Let's look around us for a second. <laughs> We've got a wastewater treatment plant right there. We've got a old steel manufacturing plant over there." Do you want to eat this? And they're like, oh, yeah, maybe that's not the best idea. 
so. But um, but still, it's it, it is really neat for them to see those natural filters for the bay, along with you know. I wish we could see grasses, but that's not going to happen in Baltimore, mm-hmm. or at least mm-hmm. for you know. I it's got to happen. I hope eventually. You guys have the floating wetlands. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Oh, yeah, we do have the floating wetlands. Yeah, yeah that's kind of a neat um, restoration project that they're doing in the harbor, too. Sam, are you seeing any species uh, that are unusual for the Chesapeake? Yeah, we actually had a, a really, really interesting visitor this fall. And still, anyone I've talked to uh, has seen, they've, they've never seen one of these before. We had an octopus uh, come up into the Chesapeake Bay, which was unbelievable. It was actually caught by a local Tangier resident who was um, setting crab pots, and they fish 400, you know, four, I think it's 425 crab pots a day. So they're out there working pretty much uh, sun up until maybe 3 o'clock. And they, they caught it, and they immediately were like, we're going to save this for the Bay Foundation. <laughs> and uh, they know that we love to see those critters. It kind of blew their mind. They didn't even really know what it was at first. Uh, they brought it over and we put it in our fish tank and a couple groups got to come through and observe it before we re-released it, but just incredible. Uh, never seen them in the bay. People that have lived on Tangier their entire life, crab pot every day, every season, had never seen one. So pretty well, exciting. Th- th- there's uh, plenty of anecdotal evidence. We'll wait for the scientists to have 10, 20, 30 years worth of data, but there's plenty of anecdotal evidence that we are seeing changes in the Chesapeake and up and down the East Coast as species migrate uh, or, or um, change their location further north as the waters are starting to warm. And uh, certainly that's happening in the Chesapeake. Um, you know, you're seeing more and more species that used to only be seen off North Carolina, South Carolina, and even Florida. So uh, while it's interesting, it's also somewhat worrisome. Mm-hmm. I want to wrap this up um, in a little bit, but um, Jocelyn and Sam, talk a little bit, uh, uh, wax poetic as you both do so well about your students and the teachers um, who come on your field trips. And uh, if you have an anecdote, you can use that, but, but tell us about what sort of changes you see in these kids and what do you think are the benefits of your work? Jocelyn, you have them just for a day. Correct. We wish we yeah. could do a residential program in Baltimore, but it's just not feasible right now. And Sam, you have them for three days and mm-hmm. two nights. So, you know, tell a little bit about it. Jocelyn, let's start with you. I think one of the ways that I see a big change um, actually starts from one of our introductory activities we do with the kids. I say, okay, guys, in a second, I want you to share one word that comes to your mind when I show you this word. And I write on the on a dry erase board real big, I put either Chesapeake Bay or I put Patapsco River. And I turn the board around. And for a lot of our students, the first thing that they think of is polluted, trash. Uh, some people say, you know, gross. They say a lot of really negative things. I like to, on that same trip, if I do that introductory activity, do the same activity at the very end of the trip and see have their responses changed and for many of them the words they come out with are life um water uh you know salinity they they you can see the science is in there as well as the appreciation for the natural world that they they maybe didn't have before they got on the boat so that's really cool when i get to see that with the kids 
what are the you know I, I told an anecdote about a teacher who was a trustee of CBF talking to me about their students. What do teachers say? A lot of teachers say, "Wow, I didn't know so and so would be so into this. He never talks in school." Or, "Wow, he he's he's so into his element out here. I just wish I could bring him out into the environment every day." Um, and so that's really cool when the teachers say. These students, are, I see changes in them in just a couple hours of being on this boat that hopefully gives them a new perspective on their students that they can bring back to their classroom and help to develop that appreciation for our environment in school. So. That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Sam? Yeah, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed moving from the day programs to the residential and kind of getting more time with the kids. And uh, Jocelyn knows, too, because how long did you work at Karen Newton Center? Three years, yeah. Three years. So. Uh, she has a lot of experience with those, you know, kind of longer trips. And uh, you really do get to see a behavior change. And, you know, certain uh, lights turn on uh, in their in their heads. And one thing that we start on the first day and kind of carry through the whole trip and then reflect on at the end is uh, conservation challenges. And uh, it's really neat um, because they're a challenge, kids want to do, kids want to do them at first. They're like, oh, I can win this. You know, they're they're very competitive. Um, but what they do is is we try and conserve water, and electricity, and different resources, and then we also challenge them to look for at least fifty species in those three days. Fifty. And fifty. See if they can do it. And some kids are like, you know, they they don't think they can, and um, but by the end of it, they're looking at one hundred and fifty different species that they've identified on their own without the help of us, which is pretty impressive. Um, but so they, uh, they take these challenges home with them and play these games and issue these challenges to their parents. Sometimes they bring them to their whole school, and it's just, it's just neat to see that, um, that little piece that they take with them for those three days. It definitely makes a difference. And your students are coming from... We have a pretty wide range. Uh, the spring is typically younger middle school groups, uh, summer teachers, and then in the fall, high school groups. Uh, and that just has to do with, uh, I guess the high schoolers have a lot of AP testing in the spring. They can't make it out in the, in the spring. So we'll get older groups in the fall. So it's nice. We get to see a wide range of ages and different, different kind of uh, energy levels, <laughs> I would say, but, but all fun. That, that remind me, I did want to touch on it. teacher training. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jocelyn, Sam, tell us a little bit about what we do in the summer for teacher training. Well, we have two different major programs that are happening in Maryland. We have the MELP program, which is the Maryland Environmental Literacy Partnership, and that's for high school teachers that are looking to create actual curriculum to implement environmental literacy into their classrooms and into their county. Then because we, Maryland now has uh, a yes. graduation requirement for environmental literacy that you and your colleagues uh, worked on with the Board of Education for many years and finally achieved it, the first state in the union. Yes, um, and hopefully a role model for the whole United States. Um, so that's, that's really exciting, the MELT program. And then um, we also have county-specific teacher courses. Uh, for example, I lead the Frederick County course probably because, you know, I came from Western Maryland, so they're like, yeah, yeah, you can do the Frederick County course, and that's mostly with middle school and elementary school teachers. And really, it's a way to expose them to their local resources that they have for teaching their kids about the environment, but it's also helping them to uh, implement Bay curriculum with their students and how it ties to their county curriculum. So, so. We're, we're working, uh, CBF curriculum 
and teachers who have been trained are in the classroom preparing students for field trips. The field trips are like the lab portion of a, of a yeah. course, and then they're back in the classroom following up, uh, building upon what they've learned from being in the field. Right. And it's terrific. Right. Sam, teacher training in the summer for you guys? Yeah. Uh, the islands uh, kind of assist that, that five-day course by being three days of those five days. Uh, so they'll spend typically two days kind of exploring their local area and then they'll come to the more foreign part of the bay and you know get to experience that three-day trip uh, and kind of all the activities are available available to you down there um they're immersed down there it's immersed like they, yeah they don't i mean some of them don't know what what's what to expect because mm -hmm. they've never been that in such a remote location or mm -hmm. so connected to a body of water like that so it's for them, it's many of them. It's a life changer, like a, it's a game changer too. They they're really inspired and rejuvenated for the next school year. Yeah, and you're just surrounded by beautiful, pristine Chesapeake Bay. Mm -hmm. So definitely a lot of uh, uh, important moments. Beautiful sunrises, sunsets, and just the scenery is incredible. So it's it's a great place to uh, yeah to finish out a trip. And these are teachers from Pennsylvania, Maryland, mm -hmm. Virginia. Don't know if we've ever had any West Virginia groups. I don't think You'll... so, but DC's in there too. DC, mm -hmm. yeah, and they're uh, teachers uh, and principals. We do well overall in the summer. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe we do 31 week teacher training workshops, each with 15 to 20 teachers or principals. Mm -hmm. And for those experiences, they get either graduate degree credits or continuing education Correct. credits. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's why I call you uh, doctors. You have professors. <laughs> that's right. You're, you're, you're graduate school professors. It, it's a real honor to teach these teachers <laughs> yeah. because some of them are, I mean, they're so experienced already. Yeah. So it's an honor for us to be able to show them some of the cool things that we're passionate about. Yeah, I think we just heard this morning. We this past summer we taught three hundred and sixty nine total teachers on our courses. Last last summer. Last summer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Dr. Tuttle, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Eckert, it's been a yeah. great fun and pleasure talking to you. I want to just circle back to this water clarity because it makes me so excited. You know, the clarity of the water is a is a direct result of either too much pollution, too much sediment. Or when it's getting better and it's more clear, a direct result of efforts to reduce pollution, to reduce sediment loads. This is a lens, a window into the bay that we hope uh, in our lifetimes we're going to see more of and certainly for our children and grandchildren. So it's, it's truly exciting. Uh, I know that uh, I've told the, uh, you and your colleagues I want to keep seeing the data. We want to try to get the data out into the public fora and have people see uh, these readings uh, and other uh, uh, water quality tests that our educators and their students are doing all over the Bay uh, fully nine months a year. You all start running about the 1st of April and you've just finished up. Yeah, yeah, like mid-March-ish yep. and then Mid -March. Yeah, yep. all the way to for like beginning of December. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, for the listeners, thank you very much. Uh, we love to get feedback from these podcasts, and we do a variety of different types of, of, uh, of interviews, discussions. So please let us know uh, what you like. Uh, let us know uh, the types of interviews, uh, discussions, people you would like us to have on these podcasts. 
And of course, always check back into CBF's website, cbf.org, for the latest and greatest information about Chesapeake Bay. So for Will Baker, for Drs. Tuttle and Eckert, <laughs> this is uh, CBF's podcast, Turning the Tide, Saving Chesapeake Bay. Thank you all both Thanks, very Will. much. Thanks, Will. Thank you.